What's up, friends? Welcome to Web3 Academy, a place for entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers to explore and learn how to use Web3 to transform business models and create thriving communities. Enjoy this next episode. BMGM, welcome to Web3 Academy. It is the weekly doer spotlight. I'm Jay Bird, coming at you from Portugal this week, where I am with my fellow co-host, Kyle Reedhead. What's up, Kai? Hey guys, we should have done this in the same, you know, side by side in the same view, but I think that might be a little bit difficult, but maybe next time we'll do it. I, I, I don't know if I, if I like you that much, man. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if I want to get that close. My view's too nice anyway. <laughs> yeah, you do have a way better view. What the heck? <laughs> so today, uh, really excited about this podcast. We are joined by uh, David Schwartz and Sylvia Aran from Polygon, specifically Polygon Hermes and Polygon ID. Uh, we'll get into uh, Polygon and that whole ecosystem because there's a lot going on over there uh, and really excited to break that down. Let me just give a brief uh, intro and then, uh, yeah, we'll jump into it. So David is the co-founder of Polygon Hermes and Polygon ID. He's spent over 20 years uh, of experience in the IT industry, having held different engineering and executive positions in telecom operators, consulting firms, and technology providers. And since 2018, he has been leading projects at IDEN3, Polygon ZK EVM, and Polygon ID. David, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot. Sylvia is the head of business development at Polygon ID, and she has more than 15 years of experience in corporate banking, uh, but in 2018 decided to make the shift while I believe she was in Paris at ECC, which also just happened recently this year. Uh, and then in 2021, she joined IDEN3, uh, a startup based in Barcelona uh, and specialized in ZK technology applied to scalability solutions for blockchain and privacy for digital identities. Welcome, Sylvia. Thank you very much, Jay and Kyle, for having us today here. You're welcome. We're very excited to have you both. This is going to be a good one. We've got lots, lots to unpack and lots to dive into. Uh, we always like to start by um, hearing a bit about your rabbit hole story. Uh, what first got you into Web3, crypto, blockchain? Uh, what was it? What was the why? Why did you want to spend your time uh, dedicated towards this space? Uh, David, would love to start with you and then Sylvia will go to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, my story is uh, probably very common. I was uh, working in IT in different, uh, let's say, industries for a long time. Then uh, some friend of mine, uh, my, my fellow co-founder Jordi, Jordi Bailina, he just... Uh, convinced me to, to check on, on Ethereum and, the, and everything that was happening there. So after, after that, I just decided that I wanted to, to work on this. I just, uh, I mean, there's nothing so attractive and so, let's say, inspirational as this. Uh, we wanted to, to have an impact. We, we started the IDEN3 project. That's uh, the seed of this Polygon ID project we are discussing today. Uh, the, the objective was to have a, a, this uh, alternative to, to users for having a, a digital identity which was private by default and we were just uh, super excited about this. So well, this changed my, my whole career and super happy of having done this. And uh, in, in my case, well, um, 
as you said, um, I, I went to this Ethereum conference in Paris in 2018. I didn't go just by chance. So I, I been in the banking industry. We started hearing about Bitcoin, understanding the blockchain technology and so on. And then I, I started to get interested in it. So my background is also engineering, although I was working in, mainly in this uh, banking industry. And, and one of my colleagues at DB, actually one of the other co-founders at Ident3, Anthony, um, also started to talk to me about this technology and asked me to join this, this conference. And once I went there and I saw the motivation, the, the energy, the willingness to, to, to do changes, relevant changes in this, in this society, using this technology, making use of privacy, I thought, well, that's that's I, I lost or I missed the revolution of, of internet at that point in time, but I don't want to miss this revolution. <laughs> um, that was 2018, but of course it's not that easy to 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 just drop off uh, that security that uh, such a position gives you. So uh, that took a bit uh, a bit of time until 2021 when um, already David together with Anthony and and Jordi. Um, already created Ident 3 and had almost uh, uh, a product ready to, 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 to deliver. That was the, the Hermes product. I must probably, um, David will elaborate a bit more about it uh, afterwards. And I decided, well, uh, it's the right point in time to jump there. I think um, just, just make a trial and I don't regret at all. I'm really enjoying it's a very dynamic world. Um, people really believing on what they do. And well, I can't um, more than recommend others to do such a change if they are <laughs> thinking about it. I love it. It's it's nice to see uh, bankers moving into Web3 space. I think that's my favorite thing. <laughs> so let's <laughs> set a bit of context um, to, to all the listeners today. So um, we're going to talk about a lot, okay? Uh, if there's probably two subjects we've been talking about the most in the last few weeks, it's identity. Um, we actually had Disco on uh, recently, Disco.xyz. Um, and, uh, and we've talked about identity a lot. And then we also talk about Polygon a lot, in our, especially in our news roll, because there's just so much news coming out of Polygon. So big ecosystem, big new kind of use case in terms of identity. And I think a big unlock that Web3 is, is kind of bringing to the table. Um, so we're going to dive into all that. But before we do, why don't you, uh, maybe, uh, David, we'll start with you, but can you just give us an overview of what the heck is all going on at Polygon? Like this ecosystem is huge. There's there's Polygon proof of stake. There's Polygon Hermes. There's you, you, there's just so many different things that you guys are doing. And so maybe you can just give us a, a, a breakdown of of the goal, like just the overarching goal of Polygon and what you guys are trying to to build out there. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's true. There's so much going on in Polygon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll try to just uh, provide a quick overview, uh, not to bore anyone, but uh, I would say if I want to summarize what's, what's Polygon about, it's um, Polygon, Polygon's vision is about scaling Ethereum. So Polygon defined, uh, the founders of Polygon just created uh, this initial Matic project that was um, a solution to scale Ethereum. And this vision didn't change so far. Uh, the idea is to provide a suite of uh, blockchains and scalability solutions, uh, data availability, identity, all these kind of technologies and, and networks and, and let's say platforms are intended to provide this, uh, to enlarge and enrich the ecosystem around Ethereum. So um, the idea is still to bring all this, all this group of developers to Ethereum. 
uh, to, to just create this kind of uh, fantastic applications. So it's um, Polygon vision is to, to provide service to developers. We want to be a Web3 platform that provides all this tooling to, to just, uh, you know, developers to, to approach uh, these uh, these platforms and be able to to access quick to to resources and uh, ecosystem of development, uh, but the idea is the same. Uh, scale Ethereum. So the POS was the, the first product, the first solution to scale uh, Ethereum. It was very successful, and Polygon last year decided to to do more and to bring more, uh, let's say, options and, and let's say products to the family. So they did a very big investment in serialized technologies. And the Polygon Hermes is one of them. We were joining the, the Polygon team last year in August with the merger of the Hermes network and Polygon. And from that, uh, there also was the announcements of uh, the merger or the acquisition of uh, Mir protocol, now Polygon Zero, and also Polygon Maiden. So uh, beyond that, there's the project built in, let's say, uh, in alliance with Ansan Young. That's called Polygon Nightfall. And also Polygon is developing a data availability layer in Polygon AVL. Beyond that, there's more initiatives of product development to, to just uh, try some things, mature some products, create more uh, solutions. Big one is uh, Polygon Edge uh, that's, that's able to pro provide this uh, private blockchain environment. And now we have SuperNet which derived from this uh, edge. So, there's kind of, uh, as I said, this environment of blockchains that wants to provide uh, solutions for different groups of developers, like from the enterprise to the Web3 community. And at the same time, uh, Polygon is now bringing innovation. They want to, uh, we want to build this kind of technology that's uh, uh, absolutely state of the art and in a, in a mode of contribution to the development of uh, the Ethereum ecosystem in a permissionless way. We want to create this uh, permissionless innovation uh, by open sourcing all this technology and create this uh, ecosystem of collaboration uh, that we believe is the right one for the Ethereum community in general, but for the blockchain and what three space in, in, let's say, in the broad sense. So basically what Polygon is doing is building out a, a group of different uh, or a suite of different scaling products that all kind of link into Ethereum and they, they help the overall, I guess, bandwidth or... Uh, scalability of of Ethereum, and ultimately to um, to kind of reach the the end goal, which is is to build these kind of really cool use cases like Polygon ID. We need to scale, right? Um, why though did you or why does Polygon choose to scale Ethereum specifically? I mean, you have your own proof of stake uh, blockchain. Why not just do it from there? Like, what is the reason that their whole mission is is geared around scaling Ethereum specifically? Well, Ethereum is the, let's say, the best expression of the decentralized uh, world. I mean, we believe that uh, Ethereum represents the values of, a, let's say, neutral community, uh, permissionless innovation uh, that uh, the founders of Polygon uh, wanted to embrace. And uh, this didn't change. So maybe others want to do different things, but that's the vision and the mission of Polygon. So I don't know if, uh, I mean, Polygon could do different things, but this is absolutely in the core of the, of the structural to the, to the company or the team or, or the project, if you want. Absolutely. And so Polygon Hermes is, has, has recently, and congrats on this, by the way, I think it was July 
15th, um, launched the first um, ZK EVM. Um, uh, I guess maybe you could just break down what that means. Um, I don't know that a, a lot of people understand how big of a deal that is. I think it's really big um, and I was really excited, uh, but maybe you can just first of all, explain what ZK is or what ZK EVMs are. Um, and then we can just talk about like what that means for the, for the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the ZK means zero knowledge, and this stands for a set of cryptographic tools that uh, are used to prove the validity of a computation uh, without the need of repeating this computation. Uh, this is one use case. The other use case would be uh, to, to just uh, provide privacy for some data, which is pretty much the same that getting some computation and uh, not, not uh, the need to, to have this computation executed in some way. So this is zero knowledge. It's a cryptographic uh, innovation that happened recently. I think it's from the 19s, uh, 1980s, something like this, the first implementations. And now recently with the blockchain and the innovation around the, the crypto uh, has been boosting a lot. Uh, so the application for scalability means uh, that you are able to create a parallel blockchain, let's say uh, what's, what's called off-chain, meaning if Ethereum is the chain or on-chain, you are doing something else out of Ethereum. And uh, this computation of transactions out of Ethereum can be, uh, let's say, proven that they have been executed with the same rules of Ethereum. Uh, why? Because you are kind of creating a zero-knowledge proof uh, that this computation has been done correctly in the same the way that uh, the rules of uh, this computation needs to be executed. So this is a way um, to scale because it's very interesting, has very interesting properties. If you are able to prove uh, that a computation is valid off-chain, you are kind of executing transactions out of Ethereum, first thing. Uh, the Ethereum and the blockchains in general uh, have the need to, to replicate computation between all the nodes in the blockchain network. But this model, you can just have, a, let's say, another way of uh, validating transactions, which is uh, with zero knowledge, you can validate computation in a single node. And this node can create a proof. So this uh, is saving a lot of uh, computation in, in terms of blockchain. And if you I mean, the, the blockchains in general, the safe blockchains like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, they have a, a very low throughput. This is why all this computation and all this data needs to be replicated along the network. So this was about scaling. So we need to find different approaches uh, for this, uh, let's say, throughput to be executed somewhere in, in a safe way. So this is a very important breakthrough uh, because zero knowledge is kind of uh, enabling all this scalability with this off-chain computation. And at the same time, CKEVM means that we are building an off-chain network that has the same behavior of Ethereum, but not by, initially it was about doing some kind of token transfer or transactions of this nature. Now it's about executing smart contracts. So we are replicating the whole Ethereum virtual machine in an off-chain network that's able to create this zero knowledge proofs to validate this computation and then these zero knowledge proofs are settled down and recorded into Ethereum mainnet, along with all this transaction data. So 
any participant of this layer two network, this is why it's called layer two because it's off chain, but it's connected at the same time, you could be able to read all this data and all these proofs, and you will be able to uh, reconstruct the state of this layer two network. So this is a strategy of uh, the CK rollups, uh, but CKVM means that uh, we have built a CK rollup that's able to execute the whole EVM. So uh, this is where the scalability uh, it's, uh, it's more interesting now. These things are getting more, more, exciting, more exciting now. So by ZK EVM, you basically mean that if, if let's say Uniswap or something that's on Ethereum mainnet wants to go onto you know, this ZK EVM, it's the exact same thing. And it's basically like, I don't know if it's one click, let's say, but it's very easy to just port it over onto this rollup uh, or this layer two uh, versus one that is not EVM compatible. Is that correct? Yes, uh, this network is connected to, to Ethereum. You should yeah. be able to use a bridge to just uh, transport these assets to this layer two network. But once your assets are there, you will be able to, to run the same applications that can be executed in Ethereum layer one. Okay. So this is uh, an important breakthrough because um, this was considered to be a very complex uh, model because uh, the, the validation in serial circuits about this kind of arbitrary computation was something uh, difficult to imagine one year ago. Mm. In fact, there was a different approaches in layer two scalability. Uh, we announced last year in Paris uh, this CKVM project, uh, which was considered to be non-practical or difficult, but uh, we managed to, to build this thanks to, to the merger with Polygon, where we were able to have uh, more resources, more team, and also with the collaboration of other teams uh, in Polygon, such as uh, Polygon Might and Polygon Zero. Uh, there was a lot of breakthroughs. It has been a very challenging project, and, but uh, the announcement we did uh, last week or the 20th of July was that the, all the challenges were solved and, the, and we open sourced the code. So next step for us will be uh, releasing a public testnet uh, for developers to approach this technology and test and see if, uh, if it's really working, if it, something they, they it's practical for them and they want to use that right um two questions that came out of this one uh we've talked a lot about optimistic rollups so optimism and arbitrum which launched last year i think it was around august and september and that's kind of how we've explained uh layer twos to most of our, our audience and i think most of our audience would be familiar with with those now um, I'm wondering if one, you can kind of just break down the difference of, of you know, a ZK rollup versus um, ver versus an optimistic rollup, uh, as simple as you can without going too much into details. The other question I have that I did not know is you said that you, um, not specifically you, but there has been the research on um, zero knowledge proofs since the 80s, but we didn't even have blockchain uh, back then. So I guess zero knowledge proofs is a technology that is not specific to blockchain. Could you just sort of exactly. touch on that and, and, and explain let me wrap my head around that. <laughs> no, it's, it's not specific to blockchains. This is uh, something that's uh, a kind of cryptographic protocol. So it's uh, something you can use for many use cases. Probably there's a lot of, of research now around blockchain, but uh, this technology will be also applied to non-blockchain use cases. <laughs> In fact, uh, uh, my, my fellow co-founder Jordi was creating um, as part of the Aden3 protocol in 2018, we were creating the CIRCOM uh, programming language for zero knowledge, which is one of the most used uh, tools uh, to build zero knowledge circuits. And there's a lot of applications now that are not blockchain that are using these kind of protocols. So 
this is something that's uh, probably the blockchain was kind of a trigger to to accelerate because all this scalability and we started with the privacy as part of Eigen3. We'll discuss later with Polygon ID, but the 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 computation verification is probably most uh, needed use case. So it was a lot of innovation around that. Interesting. And and the difference between optimistic and CK, um, I mean the, the optimistic projects are. Uh, amazing and they have been doing uh, a, a great effort and into scaling and layer two uh, scaling. Uh, the difference between uh, these kind of technologies of optimistic rollups and CK rollups basically is that uh, the optimistic rollups are running the same off-chain computation. They receive transactions from the users. They are able to produce some batches and they are able to, uh, to create some, uh, some state of this network. Uh, the, the model of uh, validating this, this state is what, is what is different because the optimistic rollups, uh, they have a, a, some, some model where uh, the, the nodes are doing a naive computation of this state. This is what is called optimistic because it's, you assume that everything is going fine. And there's a model of observers that if something, some computation is done in the wrong way, they can just... Uh, create a, a follow proof and there's a, a, let's say a model to a dispute resolution model implemented in smart contracts. So in short, you are able to, the state is moving forward as the network computes. And if something is wrong, there's a period of time where someone can just challenge this state. And if this person is right, they get some incentives and so on. So there's some game theory around this. Uh, in CK rollups, the, the model is similar because we have layer two, we have user transactions and then uh, the nodes compute transactions. But instead of having this uh, game around incentives to validate uh, these transactions, the validation is on the fly and it's done. As you settle down a new state, you need to put this together with a validity proof. Validity proof means the computation has been validated according to these rules. And here is the knowledge proof that validates this state. So, there's a, a state that's moving forward, but it can be considered final. Uh, of course, you have to generate the cryptographic proof. This has uh, some cost, this has some delay, but uh, the, let's say the main difference is that the finality of the networks is, uh, is different. The optimistic rollups, they have a finality of some days, and in, in the secret rollups, it might have some minutes or some hours at most. So, um, it's considered, and this I am absolutely biased towards secret rollups because it makes sense. Uh, but uh, but it's considered that the evolution of uh, these protocols and the zero knowledge proofs and, and the, the Polygon CKVM project, for example, we plan to do very frequent zero knowledge proofs. So this means that the finality will be a question of minutes, and uh, this is a good uh, benefit for users and the user experience in general of the network uh, will be better. So. Uh, the, I don't know if it's clear, but I think the main difference is that uh, one is naive computation with some game theory, the other is uh, a street computation with knowledge proof, and this creates different experience for users. But of course, the time advantage of the optimistic rollups was uh, clear because the CK rollups were not mature enough at this stage one year ago. And now, as the CKVM is developing, probably both solutions are closer. In terms of scalability, I'm wondering if you could just try to give us some context here. I think Ethereum's throughput is what 16 
transactions per second. Uh, if that's correct, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere around there. Um, I think it's 25. Is it 25? Okay, 25 yes. transactions per second. What kind of numbers are we talking about with a, a ZK scalability? Do we, do we know that yet? Well, um, no, we don't know yet, uh, to be honest, but uh, we could do some assumptions and, and predictions because um, I'm talking about our project. We, we, are, we are scaling, um, let's say, we're creating the first prototype. It's going to be slow. It's going to be boogie. Uh, for the previous version, we had the Hermes network. We will be able to produce 2,000 transactions per second in terms of uh, payment transfers. Uh, with the CKVM, we are doing kind of uh, arbitrary transactions, so it's not going to be so efficient uh, for the same model. But at the same time, we are bringing innovations such as zero knowledge recursion. So we will be able to create a first proof and then a proof of a proof to, to aggregate and, and let's say, uh, scale um, in, a, in, a, in a, let's say, recurrent way. Uh, we, we expect that we could get numbers of thousands of transactions per second. So this will be the objective. We are doing all of this to scale. So um, there's some limits. Probably the next limit will be data availability in terms of uh, how many data we can, we can store and so on. But uh, the initial bottleneck, which was considered the, the zero knowledge proof calculation, now it's pretty much uh, solved. Oh. We think it's, uh, this, this bottleneck is gone. Uh, let's go for the next one and so on. This, it's a long journey, but um, we, we expect that with one network, we can handle uh, thousands of transactions per second. Amazing. I'm sure uh, we all are, are excited for that to happen because we need we need scalability, obviously. Now, yeah. there, there's so zero knowledge proofs are um, a scalability tool or technology. They're also um, unlocking a lot of use cases in terms of privacy, right? A, a blockchain is kind of public and transparent, open for anyone to see. Um, which is a great thing, but it's also not necessarily an amazing thing when it comes to like personal data. Uh, and I think zero knowledge proofs uh, is sort of a, a solution to that, which I, I believe is what enables what um, uh, you are both building at Polygon ID. Maybe you can talk about that privacy side of things and sort of how that unlocks a bunch of new use cases in the world of, of blockchain. And uh, Sylvia, if you want to jump in on that one, feel free to. Otherwise, David, you can you can take that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So privacy, um, privacy was the initial project we were working on um, because we envisioned uh, this was a big issue for uh, digital identities. Um, we are facing a lot of pressure on, on users because, in fact, users don't have digital identity. So you have some set of accounts in service providers. So they are owning your uh, account. They are owning your data. So we understood that this was a kind of a very urgent need. Uh, for users. Uh, the Web3 space ethos requires more. We, we have uh, a clear mindset of uh, privacy in terms of uh, using blockchains in general, but there's uh, some, let's say, regulation trends also that's, that's let's say, putting some different uh, model and that will apply in some way. But uh, the privacy uh, with zero knowledge is the second use case. I mean, you want to, to protect uh, a set of data. You want to prove something about your data, but you don't want to, to show your data. That's what uh, we were building from the beginning in item three, applied to identity. We want to create, a, let's say, a digital identities, a distributed uh, private key uh, model where we're using uh, keys compatible with, uh, with blockchains. Uh, 
so we can anchor states in blockchain. So for some specific, uh, let's say, use cases we can discuss later. But uh, it was about creating some data structure based on blockchain so we can interact with Web3 applications. Uh, but at the same time, we apply this synchronized technology for users to hold information uh, and um, being able to decide if they want to share this information or not. So it's about uh, holding privacy. And uh, if we go one step forward, probably the next step uh, that will be kind of understood will be this concept of uh, uh, reputation that's kind of owned by the user and that is reusable. So you get some kind of uh, interactions with applications, you get some uh, credentials, you get some data that you get by using some uh, some kind of web two of the web three applications. And at some point, you want to prove that you are eligible for something, that you have some experience, that you have some uh, reputation. So um, this is uh, the, another use case. And the next one will be uh, something we aim to implement also is this kind of uh, decentralized identity verification. So you can prove you are human and you can prove you are unique and you don't need to, to hold and have a, a nation national ID document or something like this, because there's so many people that don't have uh, this kind of documents. Uh, the challenge here is to, to provide access to the Web3 environment to all these people that's not able to, to access to the economy today. And this was kind of a, one of the initial objectives we had from the beginning. So zero-knowledge proof and privacy is kind of an enabler of all this uh, new model of uh, human relationship and, and community and people coordination. So this was what uh, why we I fall in love personally with the Web3 space and why we need to finish all of this. There's a roadmap to implement all this. Uh, there's other teams also that they are building on specific niches on, and parts of this process. And we are super happy to, to produce what's not uh, developed yet and connect and, and interact with other teams. Mm -hmm. I may, may add something because in some cases when I talk about uh, the digital identity solution we have and the privacy we have to colleagues or former colleagues that are not that familiar with this world, they, they try to understand and the most easy example that we can tell them is we provide privacy here because you are proving things about yourself without sharing any type of um, personal information. So you can simply with zero knowledge proof technology really prove that you are um, older than 18, that's the most um, typical example we say, mm. uh, without even saying whether you are 20, 40, or your date of birth. And, and that's what these technologies allowing, which I think is very, very powerful. And as David said, can be applied to really many different use cases, as many cases as you can imagine, um, like um, private voting, uh, reputation, and, and the benefit of um, the solution is, as also David said, is that um, creation of a self-sovereign identity where you as a user are owning your own identity and not having your data owned by a third party that has your digital account or digital identity and your digital identity is not any longer scattered. So you own it, you have it in your wallet, you, control, you start controlling the data that others have issued on your identity and with that, with that, you can start proving things about yourself. And of course, then and that data is, is portable, right? So uh, data that was issued in one space, you, you hold it and you can use it in a different space. That's, that's um, I think, the beauty of this solution. In addition, 
I would say we, we bring some additional uh, features um, thanks to the Zenorage proof so that for the web three become very handy. Uh, it's not only the privacy per se in the way you, you prove things, but later on when the, 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 the entity or the application receiving that proof can check that um, online, huh? also without having access to the real information, the actual data by certain methods that allow the, the recipient of that proof to validate it. Yeah. Very interesting. And I, I love the examples because I think once you hear some of the examples, it really sort of just allows people to understand what exactly uh, you know you guys are trying to accomplish and what this does. Um, and I think that the, you know, improving that you're 18, but not saying how old you are is, is the perfect one to sort of, to, to sort of grasp that concept. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how else we can explain it to listeners so they can really sort of understand this. Like, where do we encounter this in the real world right now where it's a big problem? I don't know if there, you have any examples that you can share where it's something that someone would do every day where you're like, oh, if you just had Polygon ID and zero knowledge proofs, it would make your life easier or make your life better in some way. Do you have any of those examples just that you could pull out of a hat and be like, yeah, this one right here, this one, everyone will understand. I would say we, we could find almost an, a limited number of, of examples, um, but I, I would go with uh, simple, easy ones when, when you start transacting with a new financial institution, being centralized or decentralized, where you need to go through that KYC process that everyone hates, right? Mm, sure. So in theory, you, you are KYC once, and if the party that this KYC, KYC in you is a trusted party by the recipient of the proof, then you can start reusing that without having to, uh, whenever you operate with different um, exchanges, having to go up once and again through that KYC process. That's one example. Another example is just figure out that you, you have all your records um, regarding your health uh, or even certificates of uh, mm. vaccination. Uh, somehow we already have that, right? So, so the wallet you have where you show that QR code with that vaccination certificate is somehow part of a, a digital identity. In, in, the, in our solution, most probably would work slightly different, but um, that could be one case. And as David said, at a certain point in time, we believe that um, all these documents that we have nowadays, ID cards, passports, um, maybe even birth certificates and all these paper that you, you really need to to be sure that you very well organize and, and save at home. Finally, it will be in one place where you can simply use it by holding your, 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 your telephone and then making use of that information and sharing not the information per se, but proving things out of that information. Um, the only handicap here, of course, is um, you need to be very caref careful of uh, how, how do you manage your digital identity and that you don't lose the keys of that digital identity, right? Mm. Yeah, probably I could add some other examples. Um, you, could, you could think about this model where we, we will be able to verify that, that, that someone is a person uh, with a, some decentralized model. So if I am a human, and uh, I am unique uh, because my identities, I only have one identity. You can imagine that the potential of using this across applications. In the web three, there's, there's a common problem of uh, bots and, and you are probably interacting with the blockchain, you only need to have an Ethereum address or an account. So 
uh, what's the application where you um, would like to interact with persons by just, I don't know, example of an airdrop or something, uh, and you don't want to have bots and you don't have to have one person with multiple accounts. So there's a lot. This is a common problem in the Web3 in general. Twitter. So, Twitter. Uh, yeah, Twitter, <laughs> for example. <laughs> so the, the other example could be this kind of, um, imagine a credit score. If I am able to have a decentralized verification that I pay my debts in some broad concept, then I will be having some portable reputation across many, many services. So if uh, we get some kind of standards of reputation and agreement and what's the kind of desired score, uh, many applications could benefit from that. You don't need to store, uh, as Siva was saying, to do a new privacy, to get your own database of users, because there's a lot of compliance around that. You don't want to have personal information in general as an application. And maybe some banks want to do that, to do that, but some small D apps or applications, they want to just have users that you know they are human, that they are unique, and you don't want you want to interact with them. That's it. Maybe you are over 18 or something like that. So there are some basic, let's say, attributes that you want to check and reuse across many applications. So if we are able to provide this reusability and we are able to provide good usability for the keys, Silvia was saying, uh, that's another topic we are working super hard. Uh, we are probably lowering the bar for users to interact with Web3. And this is kind of the objective we have. And, and connecting to what you have said, um, David, so the first use case we have now in place live for Polygon IV is for Polygon DAO, actually, where we are supporting uh, what I consider to be a, a, a revolutionary method of governance uh, for DAOs, right? So nowadays, most of the DAOs are governed based on token ownership, um, but we wanted to move to a more uh, governance based on meritocracy on 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 how good are you at uh, knowledge relation related to that to that DAO to that project, and then what we are doing at the, at this point in time is ensuring as as David said that um, there will be a unique human voting so one human one vote so resolving that uh, civil resistance um, challenge because actually it's a challenge. And then allowing to vote um, that individual into a specific uh, proposal published by the DAO. And at a certain point in time, we will be able to connect uh, some reputation to that individual, to that digital identity mm -hmm. that will allow that that vote can count more or less, depending on your reputation connected to that specific project and proposal, right? So I think this, this is quite quite powerful um, and and. and and well, this this opening new new uh, ways of governing uh, DAOs, and that can be also applied to not only DAOs but even real real life, right? Uh, Is that how... reputation that you're talking about? It's really interesting. I love that how it's like let's try to find the right people to be able to have the ability to vote. Is that being done via like? soulbound nfts like through credentials or you mean just by like interactions and activity that they're doing just in any dap and on any basically across the blockchain is that how that works would you like to or shall i david uh well uh this reputation is something that we need to to just construct and collect from many sources this is why we define this protocol as very open and very, let's say, multi-network, multi, multi -network, web two, web three, uh, and also 
from different sources of uh, credentials. So tokens could be an option, uh, both fungible and non-fungible. Um, let's say interaction with the web three in general, but also off-chain credentials, because we understand that most of the activity today happens off-chain. So we need to provide compatibility with legacy credentials. We we need to be able to 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 issue credentials in in a format that's optimal for zero knowledge, because also if you remember we are let's say unique in privacy. As let's say this is our own strength, main strength. And also we, we need to be interacting with Web3. So reputation can be something complex uh, because the application that's requesting for some reputation decides what's the valid reputation. So we created also a technology called uh, claim request language where the application that's recipient of this um, information can define which are the requirements. So my requirements are this, this and that. So the user, in their application needs to know which are the sets of information they need to, to have and compose a proof uh, to have this access to this uh, service. So at this moment, we have, uh, let's say, built this uh, protocol layer and we are building the platform. Uh, the platform is gonna be something that's uh, gonna be evolving over time, but of course, with uh, developers in mind, having some uh, libraries and so, uh, because this concept of reputation uh, is something that evolves from the current situation, that's a basic credential, that's a common case today, until something that's very complex and requires a lot of analysis. For, we would love to be able users to collect uh, interactions from existing Web2 applications, so they are able to, to get collect all this information, such as connections in Twitter or followers or tweets or something, something that can be proving that you are uh, someone who has a social activity or maybe with open banking, getting information about your banks uh, or whatever. And then you go to Web3 and get some token balance or NFTs or something. So this is gonna evolve over time and we will see which, which is the best solution, but uh, the platform is designed to support all of it. So this is why we are uh, very excited about Polygon ID. You mentioned standards, as, and that seems like such an important topic here. Uh, obviously, when we build any new technology, we're kind of figuring out standards as we go. Is who who is working? Is there any consortiums working on standards of reputation, standards of humanity? Who is doing that, and what is what's coming out of that so far? Is that is there sort of a status of where that's at that you can share? Yes, so, so at this point in time, to my knowledge, the most known standard being discussed is the Web3 Consortium and that is developing and, uh, and, and deciding how, how to work with verifiable credentials. Um, however, we, we have decided to not to be restricted and limited by certain standards because we wanted to provide a solution that maybe goes beyond those, those boundaries. And, and actually, although this is not very humble, but maybe uh, we, if we achieve the right adoption and, and, and critical mass at a certain point in time, we can even become an, an standard, right? So since we are making this open source, uh, making it available to the development community, so we, we believe we can even become a, a different standard 
of course, we think uh, that we would like to be compatible, right? So to provide the best uh, um, benefits to the end user, at a certain point in time, we might need to think on creating bridges between both the standards in order and the same user that has received some credentials uh, based on verifiable credentials can reuse or uh, those uh, in our protocol um, under the form of what we call claims, right? So that's 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 the idea. Um, not sure, not sure, um, David. If you if you want to elaborate something. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, this, uh, what you said is absolutely, uh, let's say, complete. The only thing I would say is that since we want to be open to any scenario, we want to benefit from these standards and also being practical to propose things uh, such as practical reputation for Web three, where there's nothing. So probably uh, we want to provide a solution as soon as possible. So standards have a different cycle and a different approach. Uh, they, are, they are a lot based on, on this kind of sense of interoperability. So the industry has been working on standards for a long time. Uh, and to be honest, the adoption hasn't been, has not been crazy at this stage. <laughs> we, we have seen, we start to see some, some movement around these technologies recently. But uh, we want to embrace standards and also create proposals that are uh, going beyond the standards because we don't want to be limited to something specific. We want to be, let's say, connecting all these worlds like uh, verifiable credential standards for the off-chain world, the token standards, uh, NFTs and non-transferable non tokens in the Web3 and other standards that may, might happen in the future. But uh, we need to be absolutely covering all the, this spectrum because we want to provide a solution for, for all of it. The user needs a, a, a tonky solution. I have an identity, I need to use this for everything. So from having a vaccination credential to have a, let's say, Web3 uh, eligibility for an airdrop. So need to be the same. So this is how we approach this. And so, Let's let's talk about the roadmap a bit for Polygon ID. What's what's coming in the future? So as as David already elaborated before, so the first thing we, we want to ensure is that we allow uh, participants to become uh, users of this protocol, right? And at the moment, of course, we have um, um, our code is open source, but really building use cases on top of it is not that easy, right? You need, you need to understand very well the, the ZK technology, how to issue credentials and so on. So what we, what we would like to do first is to create a platform, what we call a Polygonity platform to allow issuers and verifiers to be able to connect easily with the, this platform via APIs and, for instance, to facilitate to issuers the, the generation and management of those uh, claims, what we call claims, um, which are the statements that they do on a specific uh, identity. Um, and on the other hand, allowing the verifiers, so the, the recipient of that proof, as uh, also David said, to define with that query language easily. So the type of proofs they would like to receive from the user, like, um, are you older than 18? Are you not contained in that list of uh, sanctioned countries and so on? So allowing these verifiers to define exactly what they want uh, the, the, the user to prove and also defining 
what are the, the, the sources of trust they, they, they rely on, right? So from, from which issuer they would, they would like that user to, to, to have a claim for the generation of the proof. And that's the first step. Of course, we are also having a, a, um, a wallet in place, a Polygon ID app, um, mm. also open source, but we will allow also other, other wallet providers to integrate with us using our SDKs and, and, and libraries. So we need to continue working hard on having documentation available for them to easily uh, make that happen. That will be the first step. Um, and, and then from there, it will be creating reputation and then making use of uh, uh, a party that we call a relayer. I don't know if that's the right term, um, um, David. I think we, we, we call it relayer that will enable um, um, the issuance of credentials um, between in a peer-to-peer -peer manner and also, um, um, some, so to say, handing over the complexity of having to, to, to issue the credentials on your own, on your own node, and so on, to a third party that will provide these services to issuers that don't want to have these, these headaches, and then, of course, um, be rewarded for that. And this, this of course, can later on be scaled um, to a level that will allow to, to, to issue credentials at a country level in an easy and relatively um, uh, cost-effective manner. And I think here, most probably, David has much more to, to add to it. Yes, probably. I will get to the point where Sylvia was probably explaining in a different way. So today we have the option for a user to create kind of a data structure, that's identity. Imagine that identity is your wallet. Then in your wallet, you receive some credentials. Imagine that they are credit cards, IDs, points from your provider. So you, you receive some stuff in your wallet. You have something, something to show when you get around. <laughs> so <laughs> the application the application can ask you, okay, prove that you are a member of the club. And then you get to the wallet, you get the credential of the club and say, look, I am a member of the club. Uh, we can do that with zero-knowledge proof. This is what we call a passive identity because passive identity is an identity that receives credentials you receive this kind of cards, information that you collect, you own, and then you can prove something about you. You can prove that you have access to something because you are a member, whatever. This is where the phase we are today. The second phase will be that any identity will be able to issue cards to other identities. So you will you will could have a card from me, not only from the club, from the country club, you, you can have a card from me saying that you are a very nice guy. And or you are my friend or something. <laughs> so this is where this is where identities are active. They don't not only collect credentials, but also they can issue mm. credentials on other identities. So this is where we are enabling the ecosystem of the web three applications, uh, decentralized applications. Because with this model of active identities, you could build, for example, a decentralized Twitter. You know mm. what I mean? If I am able to, mm -hmm. to issue a credential on Sylvia. This, this, this credential could be a tweet and say, mm -hmm. look, Sylvia, or a direct message. But I could also be able to, to issue uh, a credential that's open. And there's a server that reads this kind of credentials and they publish. And it is centralized because this credential is from my identity. I signed this piece of information and it's certified. 
I am a certification authority and whatever I issue is certified. So mm -hmm. you could have in your wallet credentials issued by me and application developers could just use on the, the relay on this to build decentralized applications that have the need of certified uh, messages because I could, I could build a, an email system on this because I can send a piece of information with my signature. So it's like an email. Mm -hmm. So this is where we are very excited because we are enabling probably Web3 ecosystem of decentralized applications. You don't need any more central server with this model of peer-to-peer -peer communication. So Silvia was referring to the relayer. The relayer is kind of a, a technical name for something that enables these active identities to work. Because if you are doing this off-chain, it's fine, it's for free. But if you're doing something on-chain, somebody needs to pay the gas fees on the blockchain for that, right? And we want these uh, transactions to be free or almost free or susceptible to possibly to be sponsored. So if you put a model of a sponsor that pays the gas, it's kind of a same model of a rollup. The rollup is kind of a off-chain uh, system to scale transactions. So the relayer for us is kind of a rollup. So if in fact, it is a, a side story, we developed Hermes because we were thinking on this rollup <laughs> for identity <laughs> transactions. So, so we were building identity transactions. I thought, okay, but Ethereum gas is super expensive. <laughs> 2019, remember, <laughs> DeFi mm -hmm. is booming. So it was impossible. Our, our identity project was done, dead. And we decided, okay, <laughs> let's build a rollup first. <laughs> and when we scale Ethereum, <laughs> then we will come back and scale identity transactions. So this is another differentiator and very key topic of Polygon AD. This is in the Roma. Probably we will talk about this by the end of the year, beginning of next one. And the next story is to, to build this scalability solution or this to do the, this uh, identity transactions uh, with a big scale. So uh, uh, a nation can use that for a voting because you need to do mm -hmm. uh, millions of transactions in one hour. So uh, let's let's find out how we can do that. Because if we are, this, let's say, having this scalability model, we need to do this. Uh, it's very connected with the CKVM. In fact, you see that uh, there's a parallelism here. Uh, at the same time, we want to develop this model of peer-to-peer -peer identity verification and to enable um, identity providers. Polygon AD is designed to be a middleware for developers. Mm -hmm. And we also want to enable applications to be identity providers with their own mm -hmm. brand. For example, I don't know, any country could have the nation ID or something, but it's compatible. Mm -hmm. It needs to be part of this ecosystem. So users can reuse this across any Polygon ID compatible application. So that's in short what's coming in the, in the next year, let's say. Uh, a lot, it sounds like is coming. Would, <laughs> would you say that when, when I think about and I, I listen to you talk about all the different um, things that you're doing here with Polygon ID, some of it sounds similar to Apple ID. Uh, you know, I can store my health records in Apple ID uh, for certain apps. I have my, my credit cards and my airplane tickets and a bunch of these different things in my Apple ID. It allows me to go and interact with different applications. I can sign up and buy things in apps with it. And I do it all with just basically my Apple ID. Is that sort of what would that one, would that be your biggest competition, I guess? And is that <laughs> basically what you're trying to recreate, but in a decentralized way 
And then I think one of the big unlocks here in the Web3 world is that there's just so much more information because everything is open and transparent. And so you can take interactions with one like peer to peer with applications, with so many different things. There's just so much more data. Is that a good kind of take of, of what you're trying to do here with Polygon ID or what's the comparison like with, with Apple ID? Well, uh, of course, all of this was, um, let's say ideated and all of this made sense because we wanted to get out of this, this centralized systems. <laughs> so the usability of the Web3 web is invitable. I mean, it's invitable. Uh, Web3 is not getting to this standard so far. Of course, we want to do the same as Apple is doing, uh, but in a decentralized way, because we want the users to be, uh, we want to provide users with a new option, which is the decentralized option. Of course, many mm -hmm. users would not be interested. <laughs> I would say, okay, but Apple, Apple is more convenient because you know what, mm -hmm. it's working and I don't care, but, but you don't care until you, <laughs> you care, you know? <laughs> so at some point people will say, okay, but uh, I have a problem. All my information is owned by Apple. <laughs> so uh, then uh, you might be in, in, in a problem and then you, you might decide to do this. The Web3 space, of course, they understand that. But uh, the challenge is to provide all this tool set and be available and ready. It, it will be, uh, if we are very close to this usability level, then I guess everything will be fine because we have a big difference. I mean, privacy and this privacy, when it comes to personal data, uh, is not a, a detail. You know, it's something, mm -hmm. <laughs> something important. Then, um, yeah, I totally agree with maybe what your point is uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, Apple ID and, and all these, uh, let's say, operating system providers with. Um, with native devices, they are doing a lot of progress lately. Uh, I don't know why, if it's maturity, it happened by, by chance, but uh, we started the project in 2018. I can tell you, we were thinking on something superior to Apple ID today, mm -hmm. but uh, it's good that uh, the standards of usability are better. Uh, it's more challenging uh, to get to this level, but uh, we want to provide this uh, because if the market of this application is this, uh, say, use cases exist, users will understand better that you have a wallet, the concept of a wallet, the concept of the credential, the concept of having tickets, having all this information in a single point mm -hmm. is good for us. It's good for us. Because before that, you, you had the identity spread in many accounts. So you don't, you don't know when you have things. Mm. So Apple is, Apple is helping to, to get this concept of a single wallet. Of course, mm -hmm. they have intention to to get all this, let's say, information from users, but we have the intention to remove this from Apple, which is also fine. <laughs> well, finally, our our main uh, proposition here is the privacy and the decentralization. No? So uh, compared to the Apple solution in here, you are the only owner of that, of that information, of your wallet, and no one will be able to remove that and, 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 and let's say, close that account whatsoever, which I doubt uh, will be the case maybe with Apple, right? Um, so that that's and that that was at the core of our values. What we wanted to provide here: privacy, decentralization, and and uh, allowing, uh, supporting, uh, opening the gates to Web three, the Web three world. Mm -hmm. You you keep mentioning the wallet. Is there is there a Polygon ID wallet currently, or where, where is where is that out? I feel like I'm missing the boat here that I haven't already downloaded yeah. and started using it. Well, you, yes, 
you can you can download it from the app store or it's also for android um nowadays the the main use case we have uh, in that wallet is the one for the DAO. so you would be able to for instance uh, get some credentials issued by an entity we, we created called uh, Polygon Verified that will guide you through a kind of KYC process in order to ensure that you are a human being. Uh, so you would receive a claim related to your proof of uh, personhood, uh, your membership of the DAO, date of birth and country of residence. And with that, you would be able to go to um, a platform which is called the CRAIL where Polygon DAO is um, publishing certain proposals authenticating with your identity wallet and then being able to vote on one proposal by proving that you are a member of the DAO. So that, that's the current use case. So there is one wallet, of course, um, but we, of course, need to continue growing on, on use cases and applications where you can start using it. And as we said before, uh, we will enable other wallet providers to adapt our protocol so if you prefer uh, to use maybe MetaMask or any other wallet, then that shall be, that shall be possible. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, in our model for privacy, um, most of it happens in the user device. So wallet is kind of a first uh, implementation, uh, a reference implementation. So we can prove the concept and everybody can see that this is working. We probably will keep this application alive for developers to reuse if they want. But as Silvia was saying, we will also be enabling developers and we will have uh, SDKs and, and the tools for this identity system to be integrated in any uh, previous existing application. So we want uh, this to be absolutely available for any developers, even enterprises is fine. Mm. Uh, so they can do what they want with this. I mean, it's gonna be, it's going to be something we need to see how it how it evolves because um, we are we are kind of a middleware. We, we don't have ambition to become kind of a main provider of identity, but maybe the market on yeah. the, the developer, uh, let's say, use cases guides us, us to to this to this scenario. Do I don't know if this is something you all talk about internally at all, but this makes me think about you know you just talked about. Uh, Apple ID and how you know big this is and what they're doing, but they're taking all this data, which is obviously very important to them. Do you see this as like a or them as a barrier to entry here? Like they could be basically a walled garden to not let this ID come into play. Is there something you guys can do to get around that? I mean, like Solana, for example, is launching their own phone and their own operating systems, um, and I guess Polygon actually has done the same, uh, partnering with I think. Was it Huawei? I can't remember who the partner HTC, I think it was, um, to start building their own, you know, Ethereum-based operating systems in the phones. Like, is the hardware or the operating systems going to be a a problem here at all, or does that not really does that not really matter? No, no, no. no. This, uh, as I told us, we want to be a middleware, very portable. Uh, we want to solve a specific problem, and we need to be. Uh, let's say very transversal and portable across many platforms. Hmm. I mean, uh, today is something we, we are running into uh, iOS and Android devices. Uh, there's some smart contract set uh, that's, uh, let's say, Ethereum compatible smart contracts. Uh, we are starting in Polygon POS network, but uh, we will be portable across different networks. It's, it's not going to be even tied to Polygon POS. Right. So 
Interesting. Um, it needs to be universal in some way. We've got just a few more questions, and I think we can start to wrap up. We could talk talk all day, I'm sure. Uh, I'm just I'm curious, Sylvia. You know, running business development at Polygon ID, um, who is showing the most interest right now? <laughs> we have from every different corner you can imagine um, interest, right? So from um, really incipient startups working in the Web3 world, in DeFi, in gaming, in different uh, DAOs applications, from also enterprises and also um, tech companies, uh, very well-known tech companies, the biggest ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, everyone willing to know what we do, at least to pay attention to how do we resolve certain certain uh, topics around this digital identity and our approach to privacy, decentralization. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say one more than others, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's really on uh, different sizes, different industry sectors, um, the, the interest is, is, it has been amazing. So we, we are really, it has been, I'm, I have a luxury problem, I say, right? <laughs> so I, I need more, more people joining the team to be able to, to serve all these different requests and be able to guide them through our solution to start uh, working on defining the, the, the main use cases, the proof of concepts we want to work on. Uh, so I have a luxury problem at this point in time. I'm curious, it seems like nation states would be a huge win here. Are any nation states taking interest in this? Yeah, yeah. Actually, earlier today, I, I, I got approached by a colleague in, in the APAC region saying um, there's interest of this government to start working on, the, on, on, on a digital identity really? solution. They would like to hear about Polygon ID. So yes. You're paving the road that we all want to walk down. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's governments, it's also banks, although they are very regulated. They also would like to know what we are doing. Um, it's, um, yeah. As I said, every industry sector you can figure out, um, transportation, everything. Yeah. I just have one final question and then um, we do a, a speed round at the end that I think uh, Jay will, will finish us off. But just curious, um, and this can be specific to, to Polygon ID uh, or what you're doing with the ZK EVM side of things. But if we just look out into the future, let's say maybe three, five years, um, where, where are we at in terms of maybe Polygon, in terms of Polygon ID, Polygon you know, EVM and, and Hermes? Um, where does this whole ecosystem look like? Is it a, is it a massive change by that time? Or are we still thinking this is like going to be decades away kind of thing? Like, what are your thoughts there? And what maybe predictions on that sort of time frame? Do you mean the impact or do you mean the situation of uh, Polygon, Maiden? Uh, either or. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, in, in five years, uh, I, I personally see Polygon leading the, the infrastructure layer in Web3. We have a, a very comprehensive strategy of uh, touching all the, the potential keys uh, and being uh, super aggressive in terms of uh, not only uh, serving customers and approaching them, but also creating and, and shipping products. Uh, I, I feel very 
very privileged and happy to, to be part of this project. Uh, in terms of infrastructure, I feel like in five years, blockchains will be scaled absolutely. I mean, there will be other players, not only Polygon, of course, but we think we will have a very strong position. But the idea and the objective was to scale Ethereum. Uh, so I, I, in five years, I guess in three, we will be also doing that, but in five for sure. And uh, the, the impact of the blockchains will be, will be amazing because what we need is uh, secure transactions, but also low cost and applications will be embracing that. I think mm. the, the kind of interactions we have at Polygon with enterprises and, and many also, I mean, Sylvia was talking about ID, but uh, in, 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 let's say in scaling, we have a lot of transactions similar to that, uh, interactions mm -hmm. with, with customers. So uh, I'm super positive and very excited. I mean, we have a lot of work to do in the next years. Uh, this is a long, uh, long objectives in terms of time. We, we need to we need to be uh, building this and improving a lot uh, in terms of scalability. For example, CKVM, uh, we are just trying to build the next the, the first version by the end of the year. But uh, as you said, how many transactions we will support? We need to do thousands per seconds and probably we need to do hundreds of thousands per second mm. <laughs> so this is going to be a long project and uh, in terms of um, id we we are just um, in the starting line but uh, you see the roadmap is very broad and uh, as we get more information of applications and, and the market we will need to guide decisions and we need probably to open some other fronts uh, but i think in three years yeah. id will be will be out there competing with apple id for sure and I, I just uh, will add not not on how I see it from the evolution of the, the technology perspective, but closing a bit with how I started. I, I see that this is going to be a revolution. Mm -hmm. We are already entering mm -hmm. into it. I see that the the first movement of the wheel takes a bit more effort, right? But we are starting to get more more acceleration and velocity. Uh, what we cannot forget in here, and I think that's one of the key areas that are relevant to, to improve the adoption is um, um, making it much more easy to use to the general uh, public and, and, and resolving certain key aspects that uh, keep us quite busy on a daily basis, which is recovery of keys, right? So usability, user experience, um, basic aspects as recovery of keys, when all this is improved and resolved, that's gonna be that's gonna be a game changer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, I think a big step to, or the first step to usability is also just education and understanding. You know, so thank you to both of you for taking the time and joining us today and sharing the, uh, the all the incredible work you're doing and and really offering this learning to so many people who are, you know trying to stay on top of web three as it moves at this incredible pace just hearing you say where you were a year ago to where you are now it's uh yeah it's exciting to to see the progress so yeah fantastic okay i've just got a a few sort of fun speed round questions uh before we let you go um and we'll i'll ask the question then you can both answer it i've got four questions first question uh what's one token you'll never sell can be Fungible or non-fungible? Can I start? Yes, sure. I, I would I wouldn't sell Matic. 
<laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say need- that. So it's of course we are true believers of our project. So why would I say charismatic? No? Uh, well, okay, remember, what's remember more, that. What's, remember that. <laughs> what's 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 alpha? Alpha. Lots of alpha here. What's one? What's one NFT you'll never sell? NFT. Uh, I don't have NFTs. I'm sorry. Me okay. Neither. Interesting. Me neither. I don't have NFTs. I mean, I, I there's NFTs. I see the, the utility of the NFTs. I, I see the mm-hmm. sense, but I don't collect them. They're too so focused on on building a revolution yeah, right now. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's amazing. Because I, 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 you you need to get some time to understand this, and, yeah. and I, I don't have yeah. it. I'm just building stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't be sorry. Right. So we 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 as I said, I have some gray hair. So from a generational perspective, I think. We still need uh, to to get much in depth on 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 these NFTs and, and the value, mm-hmm. them, the perception, our perception of the value. So mm-hmm. similar to David, I don't own any any NFT. We'll see, we'll see. Maybe that changes soon. I, I think we could have a uh, another podcast of uh, that discussion right there because there's yeah there's lots to, to <laughs> lots to unfold there. Uh, okay, other than Polygon, what's another Web three project that you're excited about and that you're following? Web three project. Uh, I mean, I personally love Ethereum. Uh, I I think there's a lot of uh, good projects out there. I have big respect for uh, the guys of uh, uh, Avalanche, uh, the guys of Starkware, uh, Scroll, CK Sing. The guys they're competing with with us also in the CK rollup space, but also with Optimism and Arbitrum. All the layer two space, I think it's uh, it's crazy good, and I have big respect for them, especially because we're trying to do the same, which is a scary thing. In, in my side, I, I, I don't name any particular one, but I'm very interested on, on the evolution of the DeFi, right? The industry, is, since I'm coming a bit from that from that corner. So I'm very interested to see how, how this is gaining some, some, some space and, and taking some market share, so to say, to the most, most traditional banking um, sector. And, and it's, it's very interesting to see the evolution. And how, mm-hmm. how the certain certain challenges that we had in the traditional banking system uh, are being resolved here or taken from a different perspective. That's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, final final question. Uh, and this fits well with Sylvia, your revolution. Uh, when you're starting, when you're part of a revolution, you need to get the masses on board. So my question is, if you had a billboard, which was going to be seen by 1 billion people, what would you write on that billboard? Don't, don't sell your Matic. <laughs> that could no. be. I, I will write and decentralize everything. Hmm. Be, be an owner of your identity and nice. your everything. No? Be, be owner of you. Everything you mm-hmm. Fantastic. Wonderful. This has been 
an absolute delight. Thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing your knowledge with us. And thank you for building. Don't worry about NFTs. Keep building. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming us here. If someone wanted to get involved or wants to just keep up, um, is there anywhere that we should be following you or, you know, anywhere that we can keep tabs? I don't know if you guys want to give a quick, a quick shill, but if there's any way that we can, um, you know, send our listeners in the right direction, please let us know where they should go. Well, if, if you have questions around us, uh, the Polygon ID, I can, I can share later on um, uh, an email address where you can send that to us, right? Um, and then we'll be happy to to take that up um, in the team, right? So if you like, it's um, id uh, at polygon.technology. Very easy. And if anybody wants to help Sylvia with her influx of questions around Polygon ID, send her an email and maybe you'll get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, we'll put put those links and we'll put some other links in the show notes, uh, your Twitter and your website and other places where people can find out more about you. Um, and I think, you know, possibly I was going to say a year from now, we should do a part two, but in a year from now, the whole world might be different. So hopefully we'll have decentralized more by then. So at some point we'll have you back on the show, I'm sure. Sure, sure. We keep in contact. Thank you so much for having us. It was great. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. And if it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. By the way, if you have yet to join the Discord community, you are missing out. This is where all the magic happens. This is where we learn, where we ask questions, where we network. Uh, you want to be in there. The link to join is in the description below. And finally, a quick disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.